If you have your Bibles this evening, and you would, find with me 1 Kings chapter 2, as we are working our way through the book of 1 Kings, looking at leading in a broken world. And as you remember, or if you haven't been with us, we have looked at how King David is at the end of his life, and one of his sons has tried to steal the throne, but yet through the influence of some godly people and some people who have come to his cause, uh, King David has realized that and proclaimed him king and sent him on the appropriate uh, delegation to show that to the nation of Israel. But when we come to chapter 2, we see David's last words of instruction. We almost call it a deathbed instruction. Solomon is now uh, the king anointed, and David says, I want to impart to you the wisdom that you need to be who God wants you to be. And the reason we're titling this series through the book of First and Second Kings as Leading in a Broken World is that leadership is never in a vacuum. It is never without other influences. Whether you're trying to lead your children, they are sinful beings. They are sinful people who you will lead and they will have struggles. As a husband, as you try to lead your home, you and your wife are both sinful people. And so leadership in the home and in the family is perfect if everything went the way that it should. Leadership at work, leadership at school, leadership at church, leadership in the government, all of these things sounds wonderful with one exception, the fact that you have to deal with other people. And that's not to be cruel or mean, but we are all created different. We all have unique ideas, priorities. We all have different sins and struggles. And so anytime you're trying to accomplish a purpose, there are problems. No matter how pure the goal, no matter how pure the desire to achieve something is, there will always be challenges. And so leadership in a broken world matters because, as the quote says, in order for evil to triumph, good men must do nothing. And what has happened in most of our churches is godly leadership is absent. What has happened in our government is godly leadership is absent. What has happened in the home? Godly leadership is absent. And so tonight, my prayer for this church, for us as individuals, is to be godly leaders wherever God has us. You say, Jake, I'm retired. How does that influence anyone? God has given you grandchildren or nieces and nephews. God has given you people that you influenced, that you worked with. And so wherever you're at in life, it is not a time to say, my influence, my leadership does not matter. Because what we looked at in chapter 1 is very true, that Solomon's mother's influence mattered. That Nathan the prophet's influence mattered. The influence of Adonijah's wicked friends mattered. And so tonight, as we influence one another, we build each other up. The New Testament would describe it as weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
You could go to the book of Proverbs and talks about how it is better to be with two or three and you can find verses about friendship and loyalty and godly counsel. And so tonight I hope that you will see that wisdom is something that is in short supply. But it doesn't have to be. You and I can be wise in the things of God as we navigate the problems of life. You say, well, Jake, the problems of life seem too big to navigate. They seem too big to overcome. The problems that we are facing, the struggles that we have, only if you view the God that you worship as little. If you believe that God is still able to work and to move and to do exceedingly great, then we should have the confidence that He knows what we need. And so tonight I was going to do a lot of verses, but just the more I prayed about this, I believe these first four verses are so important for us as families and as a church and as everywhere that God sends us that tonight we're not going to cover very much. And so if you would and if you are able to stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill His word which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, He said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Pray with me. Father, tonight as we come, Lord, we come needing You. We need your wisdom, we need your encouragement, we need your correction. Lord, we believe that your word is power. Lord, help us to humble ourselves to know that you are right, that your word is true. And Lord, if I disagree with you, Lord, I am always wrong. So Lord, help us tonight to have clarity, to have understanding, and to know more about who you are and what you would want for us. And Lord, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you're taking notes tonight, I would write this title down, A Final Word of Instruction. A Final Word of Instruction. Most of us understand this. Most of us have had a loved one that has passed away or gotten close to passing away, and everyone comes in and says their final goodbyes. And that's special for the one telling the loved one their final goodbyes. But if you are blessed enough to hear from that person what they think, what they feel, what they would like to do, for instance, where they would like to be buried, what their funeral service would like to happen, how they would like things divided once they're gone, what they would like for their grandkids to get, those final instructions are extremely special if you love the person that is giving them. If you don't love the person that is giving them, it doesn't matter. But Solomon understood that David could have left the kingdom to any one of his brothers. But yet God had anointed him to be king. 
God had a purpose and a plan for him. And over in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29, if you want to have a finger in that part of your Bible, in verse 6 it says this about King Solomon. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon. David is hearing this from the Lord. Who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. God had anointed him for a special purpose just like John the Baptist was anointed for a special purpose. And so Solomon had a big task to accomplish And what we know about Solomon is he's a young man. In chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles, verse 1 it says, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly. So just imagine tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand people here listening to King David's last words of instruction. My son Solomon, who alone God has chosen, starts out pretty well. If you're Solomon, you're thinking, oh yeah. This is a good vote of confidence. Is young and inexperienced. Wow. Cut the legs right out from under me, Dad. Just tell them all that I don't know what I'm doing and I have no experience doing it. That is exactly the way I felt when I became your pastor 12 years ago. Young and inexperienced. But listen to what he goes on and says, And the work is great. He says, not only is he inexperienced, not only is he young, the task before him is huge. It's above what he can do. It's above what you can do. Because listen to what he goes on and says. Because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. He says he is being tasked with building a house on earth where the presence of God will resound, reside. He's never done anything like this. He's never had an experience like this. The task is bigger than him. And it matters. Why was he telling them that? To undercut his leadership? To undercut his mission? No, to remind them that God had chosen them, but they needed to extend grace and mercy and be willing to be led and listened to when they probably had years of experience more than him. More wisdom from a building standpoint. More wisdom from a finance standpoint. More wisdom from a decorating standpoint. Whatever the task was, he says, it's a big deal. But don't forget, Solomon is young and inexperienced. Now let's look what it says here in verses 1 and 2 as David then gives him these instructions. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong. Be strong. Therefore and prove yourself a man. He says, listen, you cannot be weak. You cannot be weary. You cannot be... Confused, you have to know what God has said to you. You have to know what you believe. You have to know what the purpose is that you are to accomplish. And man up. You're a boy, but it's time to become a man. It's time to realize that the task before you is a grown man's job, and you need to do it. 
And tonight I want to say this with as much love and mercy and grace as I can. And there's no way you can get more mad than after my comment at the end of the second service. So for you in the first service, I'm sorry, I still love you. But we need someone to look at most young men and say, Man up! Get off your phone, get off your video games, go to work, love your wife, love your children... Be the spiritual leader of your home and do it. No more excuses. Stop letting the world devour you by being a grown-up child. Be yourself a man. Be strong. Be courageous. Ladies, I'm going to say this with as much dignity and grace and mercy as I can. And I know this statement's a whole lot more dangerous than the last one. It is what it is. Know and appreciate if God has given you a spiritual leader in your home. A man who's willing to work and to love and to support you and to protect you. Not because you are more breakable in the sense of less valuable, but as the weaker vessel, more precious. That that the heart is easily broken. And that God has designed marriage in such a way that it can honor Him If we'll let him. But when we see this way of the earth here tonight, I didn't think that'd get very many amens, but that's okay. It's still right whether you like it or not. This idea of death is one that causes all of us to really step back. Because when you and I think about it, most of us know death is coming, but we always think it's coming for someone else. Right, I know it will come at some point, but I don't wake up most mornings thinking it's going to be me. Today's probably my day. And when we talk about death, there's a lot of different views from what the Bible says. Some people say there's a day appointed, there's nothing you can do about it. Other people say, well, you can pray and have years added to your life. And there are other people who say there are sins that lead to death and that can shorten your life. And you say, Jake, what do you believe? I want to show you three scriptures from three different parts of the Bible that all seem to validate each one of those points. In Job 14, verse 5, the Bible says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. So that would say that your life is appointed. There's nothing you can do about it. When it's your time, it's your time. But in 2 Kings chapter 20, Starting in verse 1, and you probably have read this. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Uzziah the prophet and the son of Amos went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord. The Bible tells us that if a man speaks for the Lord, prophesies for God, and it does not come true, he is a false prophet. Isaiah was no false prophet. Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die And not live. He says, you're not going to recover from this. Your time's up. Listen to what Hezekiah did. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle of the court. He no more than got through the front door that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days. Now, I didn't say that, did I? The Lord says this. I will add to your days what? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. You say, Jake, what do you believe? I don't know. I'm just reading what the Bible says. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Listen to what the Word of God says. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. And then the next six words says what? There is sin leading to death. Well, you say all sin leads to death, but it's not talking about in this context. Yes, all sin leads to death, but not every time you say a lie, God strikes you. But yet we've read in the New Testament that Ananias and Sapphira, they both told a lie, blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and God did what? I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. What does that mean? I personally believe that when a child of God who is saved, who backslides, who gets to the point where they could lose their salvation, God will take them home. That's what I believe. And so we see here from the Word of God, no matter what you believe about death or when it's going to come or what the equation is, that it comes for who? Everyone. And so never forget that He says there, I go the way of all the earth. Friends, unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and we get to celebrate 1, Corinthians chapter, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you are going to die. You are going to have a funeral. Your family is going to weep. And friends, the question I ask for you tonight is what wisdom are you leaving to those around you? Joshua, the first chapter, verses 6 through 9, reiterates what David tells Solomon. In Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 6 through 9, it says, Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong. Don't miss that. How many times this word repeats itself. And very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong? And of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is not teaching them that by obeying God, by being strong and courageous, they are more or less God's people. They are God's chosen people no matter what. But what he is saying is the blessings that God wants to give you are dependent upon you being obedient. And I do not believe that has changed. The Bible has 594 ifs. And almost half of them are in the Gospels alone 
written by one of the four gospel writers. If, if, if. And so tonight I ask you with whatever you're going through, whether it is a father, a mother, a parent, a grandparent, knowing what God would want for you at church, at home, at work, the question is, are you willing to be strong and of good courage? Are you willing to realize that the life that God has given you is short? The Bible says it's but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Are you willing to recognize that God has a purpose and plan for your life? Just like the Lord Jesus Christ in the few years that He was on this earth lived with a purpose. Sitting at the Dairy Queen today, my daughter asked me, Dad, my Sunday school teacher wanted me to know and ask, why didn't Jesus get married? Now, there was a whole lot of things that came to my mind. (laughs) You can take that for what it's worth, but my mind was running. And I said, well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul writes, for those that are unmarried or widowed, if you can remain single, stay single. But if you can't, if you burn with desire, if you cannot live a life of celibacy and purity, then you need to marry. She said, okay, that makes sense, but why? I said, I don't know. I'm eating my ice cream. People are talking over here. The Golden Girls is on up here. I don't know what's going on. Listen, I said, because marriage is honorable. I'm not making fun of marriage. But what happens in marriage is you have responsibilities. You have to worry about your wife and children and providing for them. You can't just pack up and go cross country on a mission trip and say, hey, feed yourselves. And so it brings burdens into life, blessings into life. And so the Lord Jesus Christ in His life and in His time lived everything about the Father's business. I said, is that a good enough answer? She goes, okay. And I went, whew. After she began to ask me what some of the words from the sermon this morning meant, and I told her, but anyway... So I ask you that question tonight. Do you really believe that God has given you a purpose? as a husband, as a wife, as a grandparent, as a servant of the Lord? Do you really believe that God has something in store for you? Are you just here to fill a spot? Are you just here to bide your time? Second point tonight that I have for you is this. Instructions come from the Word of God. Instructions come from the Word of God. Look what King David begins to tell his son. It's not a bunch of opinions. It's not a bunch of feelings. Starting in verse 3, he says, And keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but it says His ways, His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies. Those are different things representing different things. And what we see here is most likely all of these could be wrapped up in this. That Solomon was to keep the divine law. That means what the commandments were about worshiping God. The ceremonial law, that means how they were supposed to worship, what they were supposed to do, what kind of purity they were supposed to take, what kind of sacrifices they were supposed to make. The moral code of not stealing and all of these other things. 
and the judicial ordinances, how to judge a nation. All of these wrapped up what the Old Testament said, and most likely testimonies meant, according to the Cambridge Bible, that what was God's will and direction for people. Think about Solomon judging the two women, and the one rolled over and killed her child, and they fight over whose baby is who. That's a judicial issue. It's a moral issue. It's a testimony issue. And what David is saying, whatever God's Word says, apply it. Don't think for one moment that some of God's Word doesn't matter. Some of God's Word is more important than the other. All of it matters. Because the Word of God affects every aspect of life. Especially in Old Testament Israel. It affected every area of their life, every situation, how they worshipped, how they worked, when they worked, where they went. Everything was defined in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law. And so we know that we are under grace and that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so some things like eating bacon is not a problem anymore, all right? You know, you don't have to go live outside of a city for a whole week of a month. Things like that. We're blessed that those Those laws have been fulfilled, right? Because we're not uh, unclean by the outside, but we're clean on the inside. But yet be very careful when you read through a part of Scripture and say, well, that doesn't apply, or that doesn't matter, or that shouldn't be focused on. Because, friends, the Bible makes it abundantly clear in the book of Revelation especially that anyone who adds words to that book or takes away from that book will be given the curses that are in that book. And so as a father, I cannot say things like, well, I know I'm the spiritual leader of my house, but bringing my family to worship doesn't matter. Or I know I'm the spiritual leader of my house, but praying with and explaining the scriptures to my children doesn't matter. You say, well, Jake, I'm busy and I work and all of this stuff. There is no excuse. That's why he says, be strong and courageous. I want you to flip back over there, if you would, with me, in verses chapter 28 and 29 of 1 Chronicles. You said, I didn't bring my Bible. Well, then you should have. I'm sorry. But it's not on the screen behind me unless they've messed up and put it up there. All right, leave it off, right? Bring the Word. But anyway, I want to just take you through some of these things that David tells Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. In verse 8, we see that he starts giving him promises. And friends, you need to know that God has given us promises. In chapter 28, verse 8, it says, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. He says, love me, obey me, follow me, and watch how I can bless you. In verse 10 of chapter 28, it says, consider now. What that means is reason together. Think about it. Listen. Apply. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. If you go down in verse 12 of that same chapter, it says, And the plans, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. 
This is the Old Testament, the Spirit of God working and moving, saying these are not plans that David drew up. These are not plans that Solomon drew up. These are not plans from the first Jerusalem architect fund. No, the Spirit of God revealed to them every detail about what should happen of the courts of the house, of all the chambers around, of the treasures of the house of God, and of the treasures of the dedicated things. And you say, well, if God gave me a blueprint like that, I would know if He would just tell me. Friends, He has given us His Word, inspired by the Spirit of God. And so when the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church, the Spirit of God is telling us that. The writer of Scripture didn't just make that up because he wanted you to love your wife better. That is a specific instruction from God. When the Bible says, wives, submit to your husband, that's not because Paul was sexist and chauvinistic and wanted to keep women down. No, it is because that was God's special instruction by the Spirit given for this is how God can bless you. This is how God can work in your life. If you go down in verse 20 of that same chapter, and David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. This is David pep-talking Solomon. Don't forget where your help comes from. Don't forget where your hope comes from. Don't forget where your strength comes from. When you get weary, when you get worn out, when you get beat down, when you struggle, when the people don't want to do what I've told them to do, don't quit. And friends, tonight I want you to know that if you make a choice to be the husband, the wife, the grandma, the grandpa, the friend, the co-worker, the person God wants you to be, that you will face opposition. Because the world hates the light. The world hates the things of God. And so if you flip over to chapter 29, and I'm almost done, please just bear with me for a few more moments. If you flip down to verse 19 of that same chapter in chapter 29, and give my son Solomon a loyal heart. David goes from giving instruction to asking God for something. And give my son a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes and do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. David realized that even though it is a choice that Solomon had to make, it is God who is the one that is in work in our hearts. It's God the one that is involved in our actions. He is the one that convicts and leads and deals with. And so as we pray for our children and our grandchildren, your nieces and in your nephews, when you pray for your pastor, when you pray for your boss, when you pray for your co-worker, it should always be God deal with their heart. God work in their life. If you go down to verse 23 and it says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered. And don't miss this. And all Israel obeyed him. Now this might not seem like a big deal to you, but if you've ever read the Old Testament, Israel never obeyed anyone. Never listened to anything. They were a stubborn and stiff-necked people, the Bible says. But David's prayer... David's honesty was, hey, he's inexperienced, he's young, 
and the task is great. Are you willing to get on board? Are you willing to allow God to use you to build this temple? Husbands, wives, moms, dads, grandmas and grandpas, it's not just one person. You have to be willing to submit to one another. You have to be willing to lead and to be led. Adrian Rogers always makes the wonderful statement, you can never be over the things that God wants you over until you will humble yourselves under the things that God has put over you. It's a valid truth. And so it goes on here, and as we look at this last two verses, look what the promises and the blessings are. In verse 24 and verse 25 of chapter 29, all the leaders and the mighty men And also all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. You say, well, Jake, you're telling me if my wife and I get along that God's going to exalt us financially. Our kids are going to behave perfectly. I'm going to get every promotion that I am wanting. No, absolutely not. But what I can tell you is this. The promises and the blessings of God will fall upon your life. Whether that's peace, whether that's joy, whether that's forgiveness, whatever it is, God's blessing is Enough. And we're going to skip a bunch of verses just for the sake of time tonight. Third and final thing from verse 4. God's words of instruction will not return void. You say, Jake, didn't we just hear the same thing this morning? I can't help it. The Sunday morning and Sunday night sermons are the same. None of us listen, apparently. Look at verse 4. That. So he's saying that when you humble yourself, when you do these things according to God's word... This is how God responds. Not because He has to. You can't make God do anything. But when God makes a promise, God wants to work. That the Lord may fulfill His word which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed of their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, He said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now we know reading the Old Testament that the king that is going to sit on Israel's throne is Jesus, the offspring of David. We know that it's his throne forever and ever. We know it's his throne in Revelation 20 during the millennial kingdom. It's his. But what he's talking about here is not salvation or positional, it is blessing. He says if you will do these things, God will establish this earthly throne for the blessings of you and your people. But he says, if you don't, it's not going to be yours. The blessings that I have promised you, that I have said that will be yours for a season, are gone. We know that the land of Israel is the Jewish people's. No matter what the Palestinians, no matter what the Muslims say, God established Israel's borders and they're His and theirs. Now for seasons, have they lost them? Absolutely. Not in God's mind, not providentially, but why? For a season they have, because why? They were carried into captivity. Jeremiah said the judgment of the Lord is coming. The judgment of the Lord is coming. And we know that it came. 
And so tonight I ask you this one simple thing. When God's word of instruction is given, do not forget that it will not return void. Look what it says here. That the Lord may continue His word. That is a verb that means to establish. It's God is the one who establishes. You can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 2 Samuel chapter 7. In the passage of Scripture where it says, If thy children take heed to their way. This is a promise. We can see the same promise in Psalm 132 verse 12. But the one that I think the most of as we finish the sermon tonight is there shall not fail thee, or you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What that literally means is that you won't be cut off. You won't be cut from the vine. You won't be cut from the tree. You can find that very same phrase in 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 9, and other parts of the Bible. But don't forget, it's not positional. Friends, no matter if you fail as a husband for a season, it doesn't mean you're not a child of God. It doesn't mean that if you're not in a difficult season of raising your children, that because you don't feel like you have been the parent God wants you to be, that God has disowned you as a child of His. If you look at your testimony at work and realize, well, I've not been a very godly witness at work. I, I mean, I've really made a mess of things. That doesn't mean that God says, I'm going to cut you from the kingdom of God. But what it says is that God has promised to work in certain ways, to do certain things, to give certain blessings. And He says, you and I can remove those from our life if we're not willing to do it God's way. He says the instructions are given, the prayers have been offered, everything that can be done as a godly father has been done and now he says, Solomon it's up to you. And friends, as a parent, what more can we ask? To live a godly example, to pray for our children, to teach them the things of God and then to send them out. As a church, all we can do is try to be the church that God wants us to be. To know His Word. To apply His Word. To live His Word. And then watch God produce the results. As a child, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, the principles are still the same. Listening to God. Trusting God's Word. And knowing that God's Word never returns void. If you are willing to live your life that way, if you're willing to leave your marriage that way, if you're willing to let the church operate that way, I believe God can do amazing things for His glory. The question is, will we let Him? Will I let Him? Will my wife and I let Him? Tonight, will you humble yourself to the authority of God's Word in every area of your life? Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. Not mine, but yours. Lord, as we've looked at verse after verse after verse after verse tonight. Lord, asking for your blessing, your favor. Lord, your working hand in our lives. Lord, there is nothing we can do if you do not work. Lord, you have to show up. You have to change hearts. 
But Lord, we trust tonight that if we will humble ourselves, when you choose to work, we can be ready. Tonight, Lord, I pray for any man, woman, boy or girl in this place that doesn't know you, that does not truly believe that you are the only way, that you died upon the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again. Tonight, Lord, I pray for the many families represented here tonight through the highs and the lows, through the blessings and the disappointments, that tonight, Lord, we will genuinely do things your way. Lord, I pray that for my family. I pray that for my marriage. I pray that for my children. Tonight, Lord, we thank you for the confidence we have in your word. And so tonight, Lord, as we come in celebration, as we come in thanksgiving, as we come in need, Lord, that you would show up in a mighty way, all for your glory. And Lord, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.